All right, gals and pals, game on. It's time for the Sports Gal Pal Podcast, where we help gals and their pals come together over sports. Don't hate the game, love the game, or at least find out why he loves it so much. Now your host, the Sports Gal Pal herself, Ramona Rice. Well, hey there, Gal Pal Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Gal Pal Podcast, where we help you understand why the sports fans in your life scream at the TV during a game. I'm your host, Ramona Rice. You can connect with me on Twitter at SportsGalPal and, of course, on SportsGalPal.com. And this week, we're going to get right to the interview. Joel Sharpton, can I tell you how awesome this guy is? So he has a couple podcasts. He's on Blog Talk Radio, which I love. Um, and he is the voice of the Louisiana um, Tech Bulldogs. So he does a kind of a tailgate warm-up show, which is awesome. Awesome. And I'm like trying to figure out like I doubt UVA would ever let me do this because I'm really mean about my Wahoos right now. And I should be. They played terribly against Boise State. I was there in the rain. It was not fun, Galpa Nation. But the Eagles did win yesterday. Yay. So there is small bonuses to that. Seeking so the Eagles and Jets, Andrew Hirsch is going to be my guest this week from Next Fan Up. He's going to be on my Thursday show. We're going to be breaking down games, looking forward to what we're looking forward to this weekend. Super exciting. So make sure you check that out on Thursdays. And as always, make sure you subscribe, review, and share the podcast. I love being shared. What can I say? It sounds dirty. I don't care. Um, yeah, because just we want as many members of Galpa Nation as we can possibly get. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. Anyway, enjoy Joel Sharpton. All right, gals and pals, my guest today is not a sports podcaster per se, but I adore him. He is the host of Always Listening and What Makes Me Weird, and he just recently joined the Blog Talk Radio family, and um, his podcasts are terrific. Um, he once um, made the fans of Rob Has a Podcast so mad that they literally attacked his page, and it was awesome. And he he was like, bring it on, people, bring it on. So it's a great pleasure that I welcome Joel Sharpton to Sports Gal Pal. Joel, how are you? I thank you, Ramona. I am, I'm doing really, really well. I'm excited about spending a little time with you today. I, uh, I, I miss you guys. I, I have talked to, so I've talked to Jonathan. I've spent time on a video call, uh, Jonathan Oaks, I mean, from Trivial Warfare. I've talked to uh, Corey Finneran, and um, I've talked to Nick Suberling and uh, Tawny all through, uh, Tawny Finneran all through, uh, different uh, media, uh, social media, et cetera, et cetera, Skype or something, or Blab. I was on a Blab the other day, a Blab.im with um, with Corey and some other people that I'd never met, actually met before. But anyway, I miss my podcaster friends. You and I got to hang out and actually meet each other at Podcast Movement. And it's, you know, it's it's one of those, like, what's the word? It's like flash bonding or something. It's a very <laughs> concentrated event. And, you know, we're all... We're all of a similar mindset or a similar passion, and it's a very a lot of time, so it's sort of a stressful environment. Uh, I mean, a lot of things compressed into a small amount of time, so it's sort of a stressful environment. And there really is. I think there's like a very quick set friendship that happens at those sorts of conventions. And I feel very close to you guys in a lot of ways. And now we're many miles apart, so I'm glad I'm spending some time with you today. Hello. Hi, and it's definitely it's so true. And it's the same similar thing with sports fans. I think when you are at a bar somewhere and you happen to run into somebody who likes the same team you do or likes the same players you do, it's an instant connection. It's a bond. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, you like LeBron James? I like him too. And I like him, you know, and I like him when he moves around and when he goes to Cleveland, they automatically become a playoff contender. I mean, you know, it, it, it's when you have those kind of conversations that, you know, you really form friendships or sometimes enemies, depending on what, what you're talking about. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, if you think about, well, okay, one of mine, and, and we'll tell this story in a little while, but I, was, I lived in New Orleans when the uh, Saints won the Super Bowl. I finally won the Super Bowl, you know, the first time in their franchise. 
uh, 30 some odd years of, uh, well, almost 40 years, I think it was, but of, of nothingness, really, of, of pretty terrible teams. There were, there were a couple of high points in that history, but these were the ain'ts. You know, these were the fans that wore the bags on their head. And anybody who was in or around the city, or really just in Louisiana, uh, you know, the larger state, uh, we're, we pretty much all consider ourselves Saints fans. And so um, anybody that was here at that time and that got to finally celebrate that and finally experience that, that cathartic moment or whatever, there's definitely uh, a fraternity there. And anytime you're around a, a party or something and the Saints Super Bowl comes up, you'll hear, you know, oh, I, I was fighting the phone line. The phone lines didn't work. Literally, it was like a, it was like a, you know, an, uh, a disaster had happened or something because everybody jammed every sort of possible electronic communication method. I finally, like 30 minutes after the win, I was able to get my dad on the phone that night. And, and I just, and he's not even that big a Saints fan. I just cried on the phone with him. I was, I couldn't believe it. And don't get me wrong. I was a few beers in at that point too. Maybe a lot of beers in, but <laughs> I, 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 it was, I was overcome, you know, with the, and that's exactly what it was. It was cathartic. It was cathartic for the city. It was cathartic for uh, for the fans uh, of that team. Any, though, any win, I think, especially at the championship level, can do that to a city. You don't have to have struggled through 40 years' worth of mediocrity or through a recent you know, hurricane to, to have that sort of cathartic moment. And so, yeah, you're right. Sports fans get flash-bonded like that, too. God, I talk a lot. That's, this is not how you start your show, is it? I'm sorry. I'll be but quiet. But that's okay. How, how should great. you start? You know, that's okay. We can, you know, I, yeah, should I be a strict host and go, no, we will do it this way? I, I probably should. It may be a better podcastor. I'm sure that's what John Lee Dumas does. Um, but, no, I, yeah. I think it's better because it shows, number one, we're friends in real life. And, two, you know, the minute you said those things about the Saints, I remember, you know, when I'm a big University of Virginia fan. My, my fans know this at this point and my listeners. And we went, my husband and I, we brought our son to the ACC championship um, tournament when they won in 2014. And I sobbed like a baby because the confetti's falling on you. Dickie V is there. They're cutting necks. Tony Bennett's there. It was just, I mean, and I sobbed and I cried and I was so happy. And, and it, it's just, there's no better feeling than when your team wins. I, I just, in my personal opinion, in the sports landscape, and there's no worse feeling than when your team loses and when they lose by stupid reasons. And you're just like, why, why, why? Or the disappointment of, you know, I think of like Seattle fans after last year's Super Bowl and how close they were. And you're just like, why didn't you give Marshawn the ball? And I think that's going to be a running thing for them this season. But yeah, you know, sports yeah, does that. It does. It absolutely does. I so I think generally you you start your show by by asking uh, your folks where they where they started in sports, right? And and that's where I want to get to here because it's it, it's sort of the beginning of my connection to all of this. For me, so my, my dad first of all is um, ten years older than my mom, and he was married uh, before divorced. He's got two older children, so I've got a brother and a sister that are about ten or twelve years old, ten and twelve years older, I should say, than than me, and. My dad, in particular, is sort of, a, of an older generation than my mom, and an older generation than a lot of my friends' family. He was very much a baseball guy. And in our area, when I grew up, I grew up in, in rural north Louisiana. Bastrop, Louisiana is the name of the town. And no, I didn't say a dirty word. That's B-A-S-T-R-O-P, Bastrop, Louisiana. Strop City is what we call it. Uh, and uh, Strop City is a, is a football town. First of all, the Rams are the, the local high school uh, mascot there, and right at the end of my high school career and the beginning of my college career, they actually uh, enjoyed quite a bit of success. And as a matter of fact, right now they're still a, a 
fairly solid team as far as the state competition goes at that level. Um, but even at the collegiate level, Louisiana Tech is pretty close. You've got the ULM. They were NLU when I was growing up, northeast Louisiana. Um, they were the Indians. Now they're the Warhawks. Uh, and then you got, of course, LSU, the big dog in the state, or the big tiger in the state, I should say. Uh, and all of those teams are very popular. But then, of course, we've also got the Saints. We've always had the Saints. But I didn't grow up as a real football guy because my dad was not a massive football fan. I found football in high school and college through other friends, and, and then sort of my dad found a love for it or refound a love for it because I think he had watched some as a young guy. But he was really a baseball guy. Baseball never did it for me. It was always too slow. It was it was laborious, you know, to watch. And I, I could never get in it. I was never good at it as a young kid. You know, I played t-ball, and I think I played – I know I played at the point where they had, like, the pitching machine. I think I maybe even played one year – where it was actual pitchers. But I, I did not stick around very long. I was not very good. First of all, I couldn't focus on the game. Even when I was playing the game, I, I didn't enjoy it enough to, to stay uh, paying attention. They stuck me way out in the outfield where I wouldn't do any damage. And uh, and, and then, you know, I batted at the end of the rotation. Uh, so I, I didn't do much damage there either. But um, basketball was what I always enjoyed. I enjoyed playing it. Um, you know, I always had a, we always had a hoop uh, out in the driveway or uh, when we moved, when I was about 13, it was actually across the street. There's a, a sort of a, a public, and we called it a park. It's, it's barely a park. It's some trees and some ground. But my dad commandeered a section of that, and nobody ever complained about it. We put up a basketball hoop and, and, uh, and beat the, the dirt into submission. So I had a dirt court there that I played on through my, my teen years. But I, I wanted so badly to be a basketball player. I would have loved to have played in high school and college. Uh, I would have loved to have been in the NBA. I would love to be in the NBA today, but I have two major things working against me. First of all, I am white. I am very, very white, and I'm quite short, actually. I'm definitely too short for a basketball player. I am, I am uh, five, five ten, you know, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and that's if I'm being, uh, that's if I'm being generous to myself. I think so. Anyway. Uh, I, I knew that that was not going to be in the cards for me, but I loved to watch basketball, and I had two major influences there. My father was actually quite a basketball fan, and especially once he realized that I would watch games with him. And and uh, so even as young as you know six and, and seven years old, I was staying up late and finishing the playoffs and, and the finals with him. And my aunt as well, my aunt Anne, uh, Anne Minor, she's almost exactly 10 years older than my mother. She's right there in my dad's generation, but basketball was always her game. She had lived in Houston uh, during some of the, the really good Rockets teams. Uh, she was uh, she had left Houston, I think, by the time they actually won the championship, but she had become a very, uh, a very dedicated Rockets fan in particular. But she had been a basketball fan since she was a little girl, which, again, I'm not really sure where it came from because her father can't stand basketball. Our, our papa, he does not care for basketball at all. He's a a wrestling guy and he's a a baseball guy and uh he doesn't really care for football either but anyway so we've got these these weird sort of jumps generationally as far as our our favorite sports but the three of us Ann and my dad and I would watch basketball as a kid and and you got to think about my age I was right in the wheelhouse and I'm trying to think now exactly how you, how old I was the first year that Jordan won a championship but I was I was right there I was it was right in the perfect time for him to be a real life superhero, you know, and I was in that generation absolutely that wanted to be like Mike, and those three championship runs were 
to me, the most amazing thing that had ever happened in the, in the history of humanity. You know, like I, I couldn't imagine that everyone wasn't just falling all over themselves to watch and rewatch and, and to learn more about this magical human being, this incredibly powerful person uh, that was doing these these amazing things. Um, and, and in retrospect, I, I, I see completely that I was blinded by... Um, you know, my youth and, and my naivete, there were a lot of people that had done a lot of the stuff that Michael did before him. And since him, I think my generation as a whole has mythologized him and we downplay the modern athlete, especially in the NBA. The, I, I think Michael would be still very, very good. I think it would be a question. If he was in his prime today, I, I don't know for a fact that he would hands down dominantly be the best all-around player in the NBA. I really don't know that that's true, and I know that that's a bold thing to say. I know a lot of NBA fans are going to hate me for saying it, but I, I think it's true. I think physically the modern player has advanced beyond even what Michael was capable of at the time. And that's not to downplay what he did, because you can't compare generation to generation. Everything was different about the game. you know. But anyway, that's, that's, the, uh, that's, that's, that's my point there. But I loved Michael at the time. And my father didn't, and my aunt didn't. They rooted for other teams, and so it was always a lot of fun at the end of the year that uh, my teams won and their teams didn't. And that that was I thought that's the way I thought that's the way all sports was, right? I thought everyone rooted for the team that won all the time, and so you just celebrated win after win after win. Um, and that's that's where I came from in sports. This uh, short little fat white kid from North Louisiana who. Uh, all what of my Michael life, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, who didn't have a who didn't have a, a professional basketball team anywhere near him really, but desperately wanted to be Michael Jordan and, and live vicariously through him and and uh, you know, I mean I owned all of the all of the made for for home video release movies, you know, the the I don't know, the what was it? Air Jordan and there were you know Skywalk with me. I don't know, there were a bunch of right. them. I I owned all right. of them. All of them. I would order the you know, like the Sports Illustrated Championship package, where you get the hat and the towel and the and the video and the mag- commemorative magazine and the whole. I would I ordered several of those. Uh, I think my mom's got some of those in a box and you know in my closet back home. So anyway, that that's where I came from as far as sports goes, and that's really my only interest in sports, or it was for a long, long time. Uh, when I got to college, uh, a fun thing to do on the weekends was to drink a lot of beer, uh, and and one of the things that people did while they did that. Was, was watch football. And around here, most people watched the Saints. And I, I mean, I had watched some Saints games growing up, but that was the first time that I spent a lot of time thinking about the game of football and, and contemplating not just the rules. I mean, I had a general idea of, of what the rules of the game were before that, but this was like strategy and over the course of a season, moves and changes that a coach might make in the way that his team approaches the game, but then also across seasons, like the way players would move around the league. And I found that intriguing for the first time and sort of got into all the inner workings of the game. And that was all through hanging out and, and, and getting blitzed on Sunday uh, before you had to go back to, to campus on, on Monday. That's that's where my um, football love comes. And, of course, that campus was Louisiana Tech, and so that led me to the, the Bulldogs, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, which at the time were really in the middle of a gigantic stretch of success. Um, we were Air Tech uh, when I got here. I, I started on campus in the summer of 99, and I was here for five years because I enjoyed college a lot. Uh, and um, <laughs> really, the first three of those, we were pretty amazing. And even the last couple, 
you know, we had decent teams. We were playing, so it was my, I don't think it was 99, I believe it was 2000 when they actually started in the Western Athletic Conference, but we won the conference the first year in. And again, I thought, oh, well, this is the way it will always be. You know, <laughs> you know, our teams will always be on top. We'll win the conference. We will uh, get to go to bowl games in cool places. We'll be on, t- you know, television will be mentioned, et cetera, et cetera. And in between here and there, there have been there have been some down years as well. But largely, I think our university has been well shepherded, um, both at the coach level and largely, I'll just say um, and smile at the athletic director level. Definitely lately, I'll say that. And then uh, also at the at the presidential level, you know, our university president is is uh, in particular our current university president Les Guy, who is also a Strop City boy. Uh, from Bastrop, um, he's great. He's a real man of the people. You know, he gets down. I think this is important in college sports. I think it, it matters that your athletic director and your and your president and your head coach, for instance, I think it matters that they see other people than just the major donors. You know, I think it matters that they are seen outside of just the closed private events. And and ours are. Our AD is almost always down, shaking hands you know, of average Joes in the tailgating section. He's walking up and down and, and meeting fans. And these are people, some of them don't even have season tickets because they can't afford season tickets. What they do is they come to, you know, two or three home games a year and, and they tailgate and they bring their RVs or they bring their tents or whatever. And these are people who are very committed to Louisiana Tech football, even though they might not have the monetary commitment that others do. And I think it's important to both support and draw in more of that money support, but also you got to draw in more of the love, too, man. If you don't have the foot soldiers down on the ground that are walking around talking about your product, talking about your school, talking about your team, and saying what a great time they have when they go, like that's the difference between sort of covering it and having a fairly decent base and then and then selling out once in a while and, and, and bringing in major event games and being able to, um, you know, book home and homes with, with power conference teams as opposed to um, you know, just Division Two folks. So anyway, we've got good leadership there, and I've been very, very blessed um, to to be surrounded by all of these by all of these great teams. You know, I've sort of stumbled into to one fan base after another um, that are all pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Louisiana Tech um, a couple years ago played a home and home series um, with UVA and beat us both times. Uh, so oh, oh yes, I, oh yes, I did. I, I'm a gentleman enough not to point it out to you, but oh, I would have pointed uh, it no, out I, if, if it's on the other side. Hey, we let me tell you, we have got we've got a reputation, and this goes back to even before. No, my Joel, time no, in college. No, Virginia's really bad. Let, let's let me let me slow your roll, okay? No, Virginia's not good. Not in football. Well, not 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 recently. But I mean, you know, Louisiana Tech also has. We we beat Auburn. We beat Alabama at their house. You know, we we've beat uh, we beat Michigan. We beat you know we beat some of these big teams, and we we have sort of gotten that reputation, which is one of the reasons why now our AD has trouble from time to time booking especially home and homes. Uh, home and homes are effectively impossible with power conference teams because they, they know that we'll have a chance on their home field you know, if, if it's a good season for us. And if they come here, they know it's a dangerous situation for them. So they're definitely not going, going to, to do that without... Um, I, I think if you look at our schedules upcoming, you know, we've got several instances of um, two-for-ones. You know, and that's about the best we're going to... We've got a two-for-one coming up with Baylor, for instance. Uh, and and I think that's the best we're going to do in the short term. I'm hopeful, though, long term, 
maybe we uh, we end up in one of those power conferences. That's that's my that's you know what I'm putting out there. I don't know I don't know what long term is for you, but that's that's one of my hopes and goals and dreams for this university. I think it's possible that we could get in the power five, and I don't I don't even think that has to be like a generational long term goal. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, you know, with the power conferences, the way they've been realigning and shifting and doing everything else, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me that, you know, you look at the conferences and they're so different, even from like three years ago. I mean, they're so different. And I think there's still room and they're going to grow and get bigger. And who knows, within 10 years, the NCAA may not even exist because of the way that the, um, you know, controversies are going down and the way players and, and everything else and the scandals, I mean, something else may happen that changes it which could be bad or good, depending on how you feel about it. Because I have a deep passion for college athletics. Um, it's my favorite. I love NFL, love NBA, love Major League Baseball, but college athletics is my happy place. I mean, I feel like it's true fan passion. People are crazy. The tailgates are better. The transitions are better. And I'm all about it. I agree with you. Uh, you know, and, and that was not true for me even even four years ago or so, five years ago. So let me let me tell you how I made that transition real quick. So I um, I've worked in radio total for ten years now. I started right after I got out of college and and sort of fell backwards into a local radio group uh, that owns four stations. We've got three FM stations, a, a country station, an oldie station, and a um, ESPN radio affiliate. And then we've also got an AM station that's a um, urban gospel station. And I I did a bunch of stuff for them. I started in the overnights, and um, I worked my way up into the midday slot on the country station, and I would record on the oldie station, and I'd do weekend slots over there, and I would do you know remote broadcasts for them, and, and I'd do all these sorts of things. And then um, my wife and I, uh, at the time, uh, moved to New Orleans. Uh, she had finally finished college, and... She was antsy uh, here, and I was too. Truthfully, I, it wasn't it wasn't the job; it was just the area. I, I wanted to see something else. I had always dreamed about living in New Orleans, particularly, and I thought, <coughs> "Here's our opportunity. Let's 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 go and jump on this." You know, we're young and unencumbered, and let's go. Um, we we didn't know at the time that she was pregnant, uh, but she was. We moved down there thinking, uh, you know, we're going to get to in, enjoy New Orleans as as uh, young newlyweds a little bit. But um, we ended up with our first child within. I guess we were three months pregnant uh, already uh, by the time we really made the move. Um, and and so pretty quickly thereafter, we've got a young family in New Orleans. So we didn't get to spend a lot of time uh, out and about. She and I attended a couple of, um, they, they were the Hornets at the time. Now they're the Pelicans, uh, the, the basketball franchise down there, which had moved while I was in college. And I had been following them pretty closely. Uh, we went to one preseason Saints game. That was the only one that we could afford to attend while we were down there. But right before she and I left New Orleans, and, and that was as our, our marriage fell apart, as a matter of fact, the day that she and I talked about separating for the first time, uh, it was January 16th, I believe, but it was the day of the first playoff game that year for the New Orleans Saints, and this is the year of their championship run. And so it was a very odd thing, Ramona, as I... I first of all, you're in New Orleans, and so it, literally everything at that moment was the Saints. Everything in the city was the Saints. When you went to the grocery store, the cashier asked you about the Saints or asked you about the, the upcoming opponent. When you're walking down the streets, um, you know, every window display had something to do with either the upcoming opponent or the Saints. I mean, it was pervasive doesn't begin to describe it. And I know in other cities it is this way too, but New Orleans has a particular... <laughs> 
they have a particular way of expressing themselves, you know, and uh, and and letting their voice be heard. And so it was it was really really hard to get away from it. You were sort of surrounded by this. And privately, she and I were going through this in, like this incredibly intense and and um, tumultuous, um, you know, tragic personal tragedy or whatever. As as we decided how to separate ourselves and how to how to end our marriage. And I really thought so many times, and I know this is silly, I've told other people this story, and I know it's silly, but I also think it's true, because I think sometimes um, God can be a little silly for us. I really felt like many times during that, those, those few weeks there that, that God would very clearly say, hey, look, this is terrible. I know it's terrible. And you're going to be fine eventually. I know that's crazy to think, too, but you will be. In the meantime, here is a thing for about four and a half hours every you know, every weekend, you could take your mind off of that and just worry about this, this game that you like and this team that you love and, um, and the city that you love so much. And it was, it was an amazing thing. You know, every weekend, I, would, uh, I spent time, I watched those games with several different friends. Uh, I even watched a couple of them with my wife. And, and it, it really was. It was a total release and removal from everything else that was going on. And I mean, I'm not saying that the Saints won the Super Bowl because I got divorced, but I am saying that for me, like my sanity a little bit was saved. When I look back in history on that year, yes, that is the year that my marriage fell apart, and that's a really sad thing, but also that's the year the Saints won the Super Bowl, you know, and and uh, forever that will that will make it really, really good. We did move away from New Orleans, though, uh, after that, and um, I, well... Before we before we move back into collegiate sports, I got to tell you this story. So so I told you that I called my father after that Super Bowl win, right? And and we just yeah. cried on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I didn't tell you about that day. I'm I'm spending it with my best buddy Richard, uh, who lived he lived in Metairie. I was living in Jefferson Parish at the time, which so Jefferson's just to the uh just just to the west of the city, I believe, and uh, Metairie is just to the north of New Orleans uh, proper. So we we both live sort of out in the suburbs. And uh, I was at his house uh, for the – this was uh, the, the Super Bowl game. I had been in North Louisiana uh, earlier that day. I'd driven back just in time, uh, you know, a couple of hours ahead of time. He and I got in the car as the pregame was rolling, the pregame show was rolling, and we ran to the corner store. We picked up our, our alcoholic beverages, uh, which consisted of a case of good beer and a case of fairly terrible beer. And the idea was we would work our way through the good beer, and then by the time we got to the bad beer, we wouldn't mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so we did that. We, we began to do that. And, you know, if you, if you remember that game, uh, uh, it's, it's Peyton Manning and, and the Colts versus uh, the Saints, and it was very much back and forth. Um, until halftime. And at the, at the very beginning of the second half, the Saints kicked off, and they, it was a fake, uh, and they recovered the ball and almost immediately scored. I mean, very, very quickly scored. And, and suddenly the game went from being back and forth to not a route because it was never really uh, a, you know, a runaway win, but it just felt like the air went out of the Colts. And it, and it, was, it felt final and obvious and definite and and um, fated pretty early on. At least it did in New Orleans, anyway. So by the end of the third quarter, people are already celebrating. And I mean, don't get me wrong, we weren't counting our chickens. We were all still very much knocking on wood and and you know holding the voodoo dolls tight and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> the party was on by the beginning of the fourth quarter. Let's just put it like that. So 
So by the time the game is over, and we are we are really truly celebrating, the beer is almost all gone at this point, and Richard and I are both very sloppy. That's one reason why I mostly sobbed on the phone with my father. Uh, but, but, but he and I ex- exchanged some moments there, a little bit of uh, intimacy and, and father-son love and camaraderie over this this wonderful shared moment. And then uh, I got off the phone with him, and very very quickly. Richard became clear that he needed to call it an evening. We're, we're at this point. We're at an age. <laughs> the amount of beer that we consumed, <laughs> nothing good was going to happen. He needed to be done. The Saints had won. We were over. We had celebrated. It was time for him to call it an evening. So he goes to bed. His wife also, a lovely woman, Allie. Uh, she's she's got the house cleaned up. She's sort of uh, taking care of our mess. Uh, she she makes sure I've got you know everything that I need for the the guest bedroom where I'm going to be staying. And uh, and she goes to bed as well. Uh, now I go to bed. And I'm laying there, and the room begins to spin, as, as it does uh, occasionally. And I find myself needing, uh, I'm going to be sick. Yeah. I forget yeah. somehow in the middle of this moment, in my scrambling, in my, um, in my panic, where their bathroom is. I li- and it, it was oh, literally no. next to, oh, no. to the bedroom. But I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I just couldn't get it in my head. I couldn't think. I was not thinking clearly. So I make a mess. I make an awful mess in their bedroom. All over the bed, all over the pillow, all over the floor. It's, it was terrible. So oh. I begin cleaning this up. Oh. Yeah, no, right. So, But my clothes, my clothes are in it, too. So, again, here I am, and I find myself in their bathroom with the sheets and the blankets and all that stuff sort of wadded up and put into the bathtub so that I can rinse it out. I'm pantsless and bottomless. <laughs> um, uh, and I've taken off my overshirt, which got some spray on it somewhere. And so I am in a what we affectionately down there call a wife beater. Uh, you might not as a, as a ribbed uh, tank top. Um, I'm wearing a white ribbed tank top and nothing else <laughs> in their bathroom uh, with, with the clothes in the bathtub and on all the things in the bathtub. I think to myself, I need a new pair of underwear at the very minimum. <laughs> and I need, I need some shorts, ideally, right? I have a bag of clothes that I brought with me because I was staying at their house. I knew this ahead of time. I had a change of clothes. Where is this change of clothes, Joel? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, it is in the trunk of my car. Oh no. Oh, no. So, so here I am, uh, three sheets to the wind, uh, for snickered, as they say, and I am uh, daintily stretching my rib tank top down to cover my clicking bits and my, uh, and my, and my bottom uh, as, I, as I prance my way across the, the lawn um, to my car, which is parked down their front driveway. Should not uh, be to laughing this hard. Underwear out. No, no, no. It's it is it is exactly that hard to laugh a story. And again, you have to remember the. And in my mind, you know, it's it's eleven thirty. It's midnight at this point, probably. Some and I'm like, you know, who's out? Who's out on the streets? This is this is Metairie. This is quiet suburbs. You know, whatever. This is the night the Saints won the the GD Super Bowl. Okay, everybody was out. They were running up and down the street. They were driving up and down the street. They were shooting fireworks off in the street. The whole street was lit up and and literally at a party. There were there was a mariachi band. You know, I mean, like the whole nine yards. It was everybody in the neighborhood saw my shiny white took us uh, all over the front lawn. But so that that is how much I love the Saints. I showed my ass for the Saints um, on on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but that 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 moment, since, since my wife and I were um, separating, and we've got two little boys uh, that we share custody of, and we decided. If we were going to live separate, New Orleans was going to be really rough to do that. And the school system, especially at the time, was not tremendous. There weren't a lot of great options for us. My job was sort of winding down down there. 
And so we said, well, let's try to get back to Ruston, uh, Louisiana, which is where we went to college, where we first met and got married. And she's got family about an hour away. I've got family about an hour away. We felt like that would be a good home base for us. Um, so we hooked that up, and, and I called my old boss in radio, and I said, um, you know, GMAC, you know everybody. Um, is there anything going on in, in Ruston? And he actually asked if I would be, he said, yeah, I think I might have something for you myself. Would you be interested in um, maybe a sales job? And at the time, I, I, I thought, well, no, but I needed a job. And he was a nice guy, and I knew he would help me get up there and, and get established. And so I said, yes. I said, absolutely, let me try it. And I was terrible at it, Ramon. I was really bad at it. I, I only did that for about, uh, I think I tried it maybe nine months. And, and in that nine months, we began to transition, and I started doing some on-air stuff again. One of the reasons why he wanted me back, even if the sales job didn't work out, and he's told me this several times since, he knew I was sort of a, a utility player. I'm, I'm capable of doing a lot of things. I'm pretty technologically adept. I know a lot of stuff about websites and, and Facebook and Twitter and things like that. And he needed somebody like that. He needed somebody to do these different projects, as well as somebody to you know be on an air shift here or to go do a remote broadcast and all these sorts of things. So I came back on the air, and I started doing uh, Z107.5, which is our, our big country station, 100,000 watts, which is as big as you can get. And we're right in the middle of North Louisiana, so we cover you know from Mississippi to Texas. And um, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself, and I, I found myself enjoying DJing in a way that I had never had before. But almost immediately, we were headed into football season, and, and I was asked if I would be interested in doing the tailgate show. We call it Tech Game Day for Louisiana Tech football. And, and what we do is we do, at the time, we were doing a full two hours uh, of, a, of a live broadcast from the tailgate area um, before the color commentator and the play-by-play guy come on with their pregame show for our actual um, you know, Saturday broadcast. And it's a great job. It's so, first of all, it's really easy. You know, I love Louisiana Tech sports, and I, and I like talking about tech football especially. Uh, and um, so that comes naturally to me. I would do it anyway on Saturdays uh, during the fall, and I would be at the games anyway on Saturdays. So the fact that I get to get a press pass and, and not have to put out any money, and I get to show up early, and I get to go behind the scenes, like next week, for instance, We've just um, we've just completed, or it's it's being completed, I guess, even now this week. It's it's the Davison Athletic Complex, a, a twenty-two million dollar, I believe I'm quoting that right, um, end zone project. That is a massive building. I mean, it's I don't know the square footage off the top of my head, but it is a massive building. It is top flight for Conference USA, and and recruits several recruits have already made statements that to them it is equal as far as the facilities go with some of the SEC schools. I mean, that is the kind of change it, it makes to our facilities around here. But it's a, a weight room. It's a, a locker room. You've got uh, all of the coaches' uh, offices. You've got your you know your video rooms and your presentation rooms. It's also going to be some really high-level seating for some of our top donors uh, and, and people that buy into the club, so to speak, there. I think it's about 350 seats or so. And uh, they're going to have a, the best view in, in the stadium. But it's also going to be a venue that local places can sort of rent out for events. It'll be catered. You can even have alcohol in that facility. They've got their, their licenses, which is the only place on campus where you're allowed to have alcohol. Those people sitting in the, the uh, fancy seats will be allowed to drink this year. Um, and, and so it's really, really a, a huge step for us. And it's the kind of building that a guy like me, frankly, Ramona, would never be invited to. Uh, I would never Aww. be allowed to go into that building. Aww. Except for... 
the fact that I'm I'm on this Tech Game Day show, that I'm part of the media and that I cover Louisiana Tech and, and that I am I'm daily promoting them, you know, in my personal life and in my professional life. And because of that, I, I get to go and I get to attend the ribbon cutting, you know, on Friday. And I get to rub shoulders with the big wigs and I get to see this place up close and personal um, before any of the public is allowed to see it. They haven't had a public opening yet and they won't until sometime several weeks later. They're having trouble figuring out how to let the crowds through the the fire um, marshal says you can only put, I think it's like 450 or 600 people in the building at a time. And if they said, you know, hey, a public tours for this, it, it would be three or four times that at least, you know, that would show up immediately to, to want to go through it. It really is an amazing thing. And it's going to be a game changer for not just our football program, but I think all of our athletics are going to benefit tremendously from the access that these player uh, student athletes have to this facility and what it's going to mean um, to them as they as they come into the to the place. But I was given this opportunity to work with my alma mater, you know. Again, a little short, fat white kid from from rural North Louisiana, and and I get to talk to the head coach, and I get to talk to you know the defensive coordinator, and I get to talk to the, the our, our fancy quarterback who transferred from Florida, you know, and I, I get to talk to um, Kenneth Dixon, uh, you know, this amazing running back who I think a lot of people in across the country don't know, and it's such a shame because this guy is doing amazing things. He, for a couple of years, carried this team completely on his shoulders. And even last year, when I think we were pretty well balanced and, and had a, a great record because of it, he was still by far the star, the the, the standout, the walkaway, you know, amazing piece. And he's the thing that, that people are going to remember, I think, in 10 and 15 years from, from this team. He is going to break records this year. I feel confident as far as his collegiate career. He came back, thank goodness, uh, for, his, for his senior year. I think he would have had some opportunities professionally. I'm very glad he came back. I'm hopeful that, that he'll have a great uh, season health-wise. And, and I just I feel, you know, um, blessed, privileged uh, to get to, to be up close and personal with these guys and, and to get paid to do it, too. That's the, you know, that's the kicker, Ramona, is this is, this is a little bonus for me and my family throughout the football season, too. And, and it's not a great deal of money at all. And I, and I think a lot of people... Uh, especially people in the professional media might you know, scoff at the amount of money that I make. But I get paid to do a thing that I'd probably do for free anyway. And you can't complain about that, right? No. Does it change, though? Because, um, again, I'm, we've talked about this off air and I've talked about it on air. I'm still a fairly new podcaster. It's the first time I've ever you know, had this kind of media space truly where I'm talking about games and you know, teams I love. And, you know, I have to, I feel like I have to look at it differently. Do you have to look at it differently now that you're part of the media rather than being a strong family? So, okay. So when I first got back and, and started in Ruston, uh, when I got back after, after my divorce, after my separation and divorce, and I was back on the air, I tried, we were, I was on our sports station in the afternoons. We've got a morning local show and an afternoon local show. And I was on the, the afternoon local show for about a let's see how long was I on? I was only on I guess maybe five six months. Personalities did not work out. The other the other guys who made up the crew and this was like a, a sort of a rotating panel show, and um, I we we just we were sort of rough with each other, and so I didn't hang around there very long. While I was on the air there, I got a lot of flack for being uh, pro tech, and I think that so you have to know our geographic makeup. Um, we've got a, a fairly major uh, um, metro area, which is Monroe, West Monroe, which is about 30 minutes away. And then Ruston is a much smaller town, uh, just uh, about 25,000 people or so. 
um, which is where I live. It's 30 minutes apart. And Louisiana Tech, which is the larger university, is in Ruston. Uh, ULM, the slightly smaller university, is in Monroe. And they have been rivals historically. Uh, they are not really now. They don't play each other uh, in football at all. They, they occasionally will play each other in, you know, like a soccer or a baseball or, or a basketball or things like that. But um, the, the, the football rivalry only exists in the fans' minds, really. Um, but there is definitely a faction of people who are diehard ULM fans, and if you talk about tech more than once or twice ever in a positive manner, then you are a bad guy. And likewise, there's a faction of tech fans that I would say are maybe even more virulent, that if you ever mention ULM, if you just call them ULM instead of calling them NLU, which is not their name anymore, uh, if, if you're not derisive at all, uh, directly, then you are then you're being pro-ULM, you know, pro-Warhawks. So there's a lot of animosity there, and I got some flack for that. But really, I feel like I did a pretty good job of walking the line of a... I let my biases be known. I, I never claimed to be a journalist. I was a commentator. I was an editorializer. That's sort of the way that I felt about it. And so it's okay to like a team. It's okay to even occasionally be blinded by your like, I think, for a team, as long as you let that, as long as you admit it. You know, it's just like, I, I've, I've, I feel like, um, I feel, I'm a fairly progressive and liberal guy. Um, uh, first of all, I guess I should say that. So sometimes I worry about things like misogyny, like like built-in uh, you know, male privilege misogyny. Hey, are you saying things that are um, derisive or belittling or or whatever that you don't even realize, that you don't even cognize? And the, overall, I feel like, yeah, I do. I do that all the time. I say I do the same thing racially, I'm sure, as a, as a white guy um, to other minorities. And, and And yet, the fact that I think about it... <laughs> Right, the fact that I am aware of it, the fact that I want to do better, the fact that I contemplate, well, did I phrase that the way that I meant it? Did it? Did people hear it the way that I meant it? Et cetera, et cetera. I think that makes up for it. And so I feel that way about sports too. The fact that if you are going to talk about sports, I think it is foolhardy to believe and to propagate the idea that you don't have any allegiances. If you're going to talk about sports for a living, for a living, obviously you love sports, and part of that love for sports is either an allegiance and, a, and a, an affinity for players or teams or both, right? So yeah, I agree. So so to step away from that, I think, or to or, or to act like that's not in you is hubris and foolish, I think, as a broadcaster. And I know a lot of people do it. I know a lot of big names do it. They say I don't feel that way, and they and they and they project that idea. Oh, I am the non-interested third party, that's nonsense. If you're watching as much games as you have to, as many games as you watch, as much sport as you have to watch to do this for a living, you, my friend, are a sports fan, and somewhere along the line, you have a bias. So I just say own it. That's my thing. And and definitely, in my current capacity, since really the, the, the you know, I used to call um, local high school football, too. I did that for three years. Uh, the, the Cedar Creek Cougars here, which is a um, local uh, private school, uh, which at the time that I was calling them enjoyed quite a bit of success. Actually, we had a couple of good years there, but I, I, ca- I called their games for three years, did play by play. And that again was a place where because of the nature of my engagement, I, I called it fairly. I called it honestly, but I obviously had a bent and a bias toward the home team. They were my home team and I was, I was putting on their home broadcast, you know, and the same thing goes for our tailgate show. I don't lie about Louisiana Tech sports. I don't inflate them to something they are not. I accentuate the positive, 
and I tend not to accentuate the negative, you know, in my broadcast. That's that's what I would say about that. Yeah, I'm I'm a negative person. I don't mean to be. It just sort of happens. Um, you know, I love um again the teams that I love, but I'm very cautious with them. You know, I'll give an example, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, you know, I realize on paper they look really, really good. I'm questioning everything Chip Kelly's doing. And I think I'm just cautious because I feel like as a fan I've been burnt so many times. And it's so weird when we start thinking about it that way, like we as a fan base or we need to do this. It's a it's a language that fans use when we're talking about our team. It's our team. We need to do this. We need to draft this player. We need to execute this play. There is no we. <laughs> it's only the guys in the field and the coaches that have to do it. But I think we as a hubris, as a fan base go, we are an army. You know, when you hear like things like we are Penn State or, you know, when I do an OHIO to a Buckeye, you know, these are the kind of things that come out and wow. it becomes a whole like cultural thing. Yeah, I'm, we are La Tech. I mean, that's our hashtag. We are we are La Tech. And, and I, I feel that way. We very much claim it. Now, College athletics, I think, is a little different because generally, and this is not entirely true, obviously, if you're from Ohio, you might like Ohio State, whether you went there or not. If you're from Louisiana, you uh, you know, the, the saying is, I have a Louisiana Tech shirt because I went to Louisiana Tech. You have an LSU shirt because you went to Walmart. Um, yeah, and, and, we have those too. Uh, and that is, I mean, that is... That is very much true. If you're if you're from Louisiana and you don't have a college team, you probably root for LSU. And who can blame you if they've been very successful? Uh, but I think generally, though, the the core of the fan base for college athletics comes from people from the university. It's people who attended, or people who married someone who attended, or or people whose father attended, or their mother attended, or you know, um, their kids went there, and so they spent a lot of money towards that university or whatever, and so that you, you are part of the fan base, and not just part of the fan base, you are part of the team in a, very, in a very real way that is not true for professional sports. And I think it's one of the reasons why the, you know, the Sweet 16 is so amazing. I think it's, it's one of the reasons why the whole March Madness is so amazing. It's one of the reasons why I think people care so much about um, getting the BCS championship right and why they wanted to move to this new system. I think it's it's not just about money. Yes, obviously, there is more money to be made if we're able to crown a real champion, I think. Um, but at the same time, I think it's more about we just want to know if we're the best and, and this is us. And it it's very much a it's a tribalistic thing, right? And we don't um we don't get to we don't get to go to war very often anymore, uh, at least not in any way that we can all rally around, you know? Like, we can't yeah. all go, rah, rah, let's go kill those folks over there. Like, that's not our, – our, the modern tenor has changed. And I think sport is a way that we can satisfy that very primal part of us. And collegiate sport does that, I think, better than anybody else. So the thing that I think about a lot, Ramona, and I'd love to sort of pick your brain or talk about this for a minute before – before we wrap up, maybe, um, I think a lot about the, the coming changes in the sports landscape. And if you look at like the unspooling of the cable bundle and the way that that will likely affect a lot of professional sports as far as the amount of money, um, the, the I don't know, just I look at the way that the NBA contracts have expanded just in this, this past year, and I, I say, boy, that doesn't seem tenable to me. You know, I don't I don't see how that's going to be able to continue like that, um, especially if people stop subscribing to cable at $120 a pop a month or whatever, uh, you know, over the course of the next 20 years, 10, 10, 15 years. I think some of that will change because they'll just be selling it directly to 
you know, their customers. But again, I don't think the money is equivalent. I think I think this all of the professional sports leagues are going to contract a little bit over the next ten years. I think there is two ways though that college sports could go. They could either sort of fall completely apart and and I don't think they would go away entirely. I think what would happen is you would effectively turn it into a minor league professional sport. You know, there would be institutions that all they really do is is football and basketball and baseball, and then there would be other institutions that are regular colleges, you know. Um, or, or they could figure out some way to move through this question of paying athletes. And I, I'm, I'm a progressive guy. I'm a liberal guy. I think we ought to give them a piece of the, of the massive revenues that are, that are generated. I don't know how to do that. I'm not smart enough to figure out the, the ins and outs and the, and the ones and zeros and where to put the decimal places. But somebody can. Somebody can figure that out and get past that issue. And what I think could happen is you could have a real rebirth of college sports because I think college sports could be safer, could be more immediate for the fan, could be a better value for the fan as far as attendance. They can always be more affordable than professional sports. And um, anyway, I just think it is well positioned if we have intelligent and and patient and non-risk averse leaders at the top, at all levels, at the university levels, of course, but also at the conference levels and, and at the top of the NCAA. I just, I really hope that they don't make defensive moves and and don't hem themselves in and and don't let the future pass them by. Because I think they have an opportunity. When you look at all of the controversies going on now in professional sports, but especially in football, I think football, because of the violence of the sport, and I think the violence is the reason why it is so popular. I know a lot of people disagree. It is a great television product. It will be less so when it is less violent. And I think that's just true. Um, I think college football can get past that because of the direct connection and the passion that people have because of the alumni connection. And so I, I think that's what could happen. I see a future in which college football in particular could pass the NFL as as far as uh, dollars and eyeballs and attendance, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I think um, interest just in general. So anyway, I, I'm that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I wonder about and what I think about, um, especially since I sort of tangentially work in, in college football. Yeah, I think I think, think that's, I think it's a really good point. I think it's interesting. If you look at, I'm going to talk about um, wrestling about, entertainment um, for a minute, just like um, Pod Vader like, demanded from Jonathan on our appearance on Trivial Warfare, more wrestling questions. But they've recently switched to their whole WWE network where it's like nine bucks a month um, rather than doing, like you pay the cable company 50 bucks to see their pay-per-view. And that was their whole spin for SummerSlam this time. It's so smart. Because why would I pay 50 bucks to the cable company when I can pay 10 bucks and then get this network all the time? Even if I only do it to watch the um, pay-per-views, it, imagine how many more people are going to pay $10 a month and how much more money is that family going to make? And I think, particularly, I think the NFL will leave this because they already have their own network that's very successful that's already promoting like shows and things like that. I could totally see them going to a streaming service where it's like on-demand um, product, and I think more and more people are going yes because you get in situations like I'm in a market where um, I'm three hours outside of uh, Washington D.C., so technically the Redskins are the home team, and there's a good portion of us here who don't want to watch the Redskin football. Number one, they're bad, and number two, we're not Redskin fans. So you know, like I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, so I kind of you know, and I yeah, I could buy Sunday ticket. But that's only on this one product. And I think the NFL is going to get really smart and go, you know what, we're going to make it so that you can buy whatever team game you want. 
whether it's like a virtual pass. I mean, the technology needs to catch up to, you know, what could be offered, I think, you know, and, and it could happen where, you know, if there's an NBA game you watch, you pay like so much money and you get to watch it on your TV. Well, even this year, this year, they're, the NBA is specifically doing, I don't, I don't know if they're doing it for the whole season, but I know they are offering some select games at least as immediate pay-per-view. So for one game, you could pay, you know, I don't know what it is, $5.99 or something, and and you can access that game on whatever device you're you're coming from. I think I think that's definitely the way you go. I, I, I may be getting the citation wrong here, so forgive me if I do, but I think it was Bill Simmons that tweeted, you know, the eventual goal of this, especially for the, the NBA, I think is maybe the most primed for this particular idea. What What they want to be able to do is to tweet out a link you know, or post it on their Facebook page, and anybody that's that's online at that time can follow that link, and for and for that one Apple Pay, you know, ninety nine cent payment can watch the final minute and a half of the NBA game, right? Like that's the place that you want to get to, and that's the place. Do you have any idea how many how many games a year would I watch that way, where I'm not in front of my TV, I maybe don't even have that game on my cable package, I'm not really a fan of, let's say, the Thunder, you know, but it's the Thunder and the Clippers, and it's the fourth quarter, and I've been following it with, you know, ESPN uh, Game Watch or whatever, or I've, or I've been following it on Twitter, and it's tight, it's, it's, it's overtime now, and for 99 cents, I can see the finish. Yeah, I do that, right? Like, I do that a bunch during the year, probably. I would. So I think, especially if I can watch it right there on my phone, like, I don't even have to leave the device I'm doing, and I don't have to... Anyway, I think that's where they're all going. I think that's exactly where they're all going. And they are worried about it, and rightfully so, because the money, at least in the short term, will be less. And, and what will happen in a lot of their cases is to get the rights to do this, they will have to break certain portions of their cable agreement, which will mean that the cable company will be paying them less or will be required to, you know, or won't be required to keep ESPN in the top tier anymore or won't be required to put NFL Network in the second tier anymore or, you know, whatever. So these sorts of concessions that they've gotten in the past, part of that is because they have left the digital realm out. And when they bring that in, it's, it's going to hurt the feelings of these other companies and it's going to affect their business model. There's, but, but here's the thing. On an infinite time scale, which is one of my favorite phrases, uh, if, if you wait forever, you know, this will all pass you by and, and, and you will have a generation of fans who have found some other sport to watch. You know, you don't want to leave the six and seven year olds to only be interested in esports, for instance. I mean, I don't know about your your kids. Um, I, my sons are not into yet, like the YouTube video game watching, mostly because I haven't exposed them to it. But they've got friends at school, and like it is just a matter of time until this is a thing that that they're talking about all the time. You know, and yeah. I am. Uh, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. I I, I I I like that they sit and watch basketball with me, you know, and I'm worried just like my generation, I feel like got left behind by the MLB by not scheduling afternoon games. I'm worried about my kids not uh, falling in love with the sports that I love because they're not exposed to them in the ways that they want to access sport. I agree. I completely agree. And unless the major leagues, and I think colleges will still be fine, like we said, because you have an intimate relationship with them. 
but with proteins, you don't get that. It's so different. Like, I, and I tell people, I've been to pro games, particularly like pro basketball versus college basketball, light years different. I mean, light years. I went to a, um, back when they were still the Bobcats in Charlotte, now they're, now they're the Hornets. And, um, you know, we were there and we were actually a couple rows behind Michael Jordan, and it's a great way to kind of wrap, the, wrap this up. And I, you know, it just, the crowd was like, okay. And it was, they were playing the Lakers. So I mean, they're playing actually a decent team. Kobe was actually playing. He wasn't hurt. And, um, you know, but it was so different. And then I go to freaking JPJ in Charlottesville for UVA and we can't stop ourselves from screaming. I mean, the place is literally shaking. It's so different. And that, and the students weren't even there for that game. It was, um, when they were off, um, for winter break and we're still shaking the place because we're playing Davidson. I mean, it's just, it's so different. It's so different. That's that's college sports, man. It re- it really is amazing, and uh, you know, thankfully, um, I I am right here in the middle of a sort of hotbed. We we're gonna have a great season. We got six home games this year in this uh, newly, um, you know, redone stadium. We got the new end zone complex. We got new turf uh, in the stadium. We've got a a fairly new uh, women's head basketball coach. Uh, you know, Pat Summit's uh, son is here, and uh, he's doing a great job. Uh, and he's he's one of the youngest, if not the youngest coach at the Division One level, but I think he's made a real turnaround on the team already for the Lady Texters, and, and I think there is still the potential for, for us to compete at the national level in women's basketball, as we did in the past, you know. And then you got the men's team, too, which the, the Duncan Dogs the last three years, uh, gone to the uh, last two years that went to the NIT, the last three years either won the conference or were right there in, in competition, and um, they, they had uh, some really great seasons under Mike White. Mike White moved on now uh, to the Florida Gators. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's I, You know, truthfully, when he leaves Louisiana Tech, I don't care anymore, but I, I think he's a, a Florida Gator <laughs> now. And uh, we, got a, we got a new coach, uh, and I think he's the right guy, uh, and I think we're, we're in a good position there too. So, anyway, I'm, I'm hoping to enjoy a lot, of, uh, a lot of good sports around here. Well, there you have it. Joel, if um, the members of Galpaw Nation want to connect with you, how do they do it? Uh, well, there's lots of ways. Uh, you can go to – so you can go check out our network if you want. You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash two guys and a rogue, and that's all spelled out, T-W-O, et cetera, et cetera, two guys and a rogue. Uh, or you can just go to my website, joelsharpton.com, and I've got links for all of my podcasts, and, and my blog is there, and, and you can find uh, you know my, my Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. You can even go look at the, the YouTube videos that I made. I, I made these cartoons for my kids' stories. You can go check those out, too. All of that happening at joelsharpton.com. But um, please, check out my podcast if you like. Always listening. We review a different podcast every Wednesday. And uh, my other show is called What Makes Me Weird, and that one's a, a little bit uh, different. I, I interview people on that, and mostly we talk about the, the passion uh, that they have for their art or their industry or their hobby that sets them apart from everybody else. What Makes Me Weird, that's, uh, that's my interview show. That comes out every Thursday. Well, there you have it. Okay, and again, all the links to Joel and all of his shows are going to be on my show notes at blogtalkradio.com forward slash sportsgalpal or on sportsgalpal.com. And Joel, thank you so much, and I hope Louisiana Tech has a great season. Go dogs! Thank you so much, Ramona. I appreciate you. Had a great time. Thanks for listening to the Sports Gal Pal podcast. And be sure to check out sportsgalpal.com.